Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Well, today, as Pastor Killingsworth said, it is Monday, Thursday, not Monday, Thursday, as I originally thought. And he said what Monday means. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. See, I didn't even know I was doing that until he mentioned that. So now I'm all thrown off. But basically, it just means new command Thursday. And that is what we're going to be primarily looking at tonight is the new commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples. And that can be found in John 13, which Pastor Moore already read. And so I'm not going to reread that whole chapter, but we're going to skip to verse 34 where the new command is given. And uh, that should be up on the screen. So John chapter 13, verse 34, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let us begin by praying. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and for his love. And I pray, Lord, that we would grow in our love for you and for one another. I pray this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So as I said, it's Monday, Thursday, New Commandment Thursday. We all know that this is the Thursday before Good Friday. Jesus died on Good Friday. And just a couple days ago, we celebrated what? We celebrated Palm Sunday. So Jesus comes in as the king, triumphal entry. And then he's here this Thursday and the next day he's going to die. And this Thursday night, he is spending this time with his disciples. They're preparing for the Passover. They're eating together. We know a lot of the things, a lot of things probably come to our minds. Some of them we read tonight. He he does what? He washes the disciples' feet. He goes to the garden and he prays. He's betrayed by Judas. Also this night is when uh, there's the trial of Jesus, this awful trial. And here at the end of John 13, Jesus says to Peter, when Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? Jesus says to Peter, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. And that prophecy of Jesus comes true before the rooster crows that morning, the next morning, Peter has denied him three times. And so these are just some of the things that happened this night, this Thursday night. And they also celebrated the Lord's Supper, uh, which we will be doing later tonight. But there's something else I want to draw our attention to. So if we go to verse 1, it says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, 
got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Now what I want us to notice is what is on Jesus' mind here at the beginning of this, of this passage. What it says is that before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that's in verse one, and then in verse three, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. So what's on Jesus' mind? It's that he's about to die. His time has come. He's about to die. He's about to go back to the Father. Now, I had an acquaintance. I didn't know the man that well. I knew him a little bit. But most of this is secondhand knowledge. But he died a couple years ago. He had terminal cancer, and he... uh, He died a couple years ago, like I said. Um, He had a wife, he had kids. Um, He had found out a little while before he actually died that he was dying. And what I was told was that what he did in those last days was, was really something different from what other people do. It was, it was pretty amazing what he did is what I was told. Well, for it to be amazing that he did something different than other people, we probably should start with thinking about what do people usually do or what do people think of doing if they were thinking, oh, if I was going to die, this is what I would do. Well, we all, if you're like me, you've seen a lot of movies, and we all know exactly what people do when they're about to die. Um, they reach into their pocket, you know, the doctors told them you're going to die, and then they reach into their pocket, pull out the piece of paper, and on that paper there's a list. And what is that list? It's, it's a bucket list, right? So they pull out the bucket list and most of the things haven't been done. And they're like, I have two weeks left to live. I'm going to do all these things. So I'm going to walk across America. And I don't know if I can do that in two weeks, but I'm going to try. And then I'm going to go to that one restaurant and try that one sandwich that my dad told me about when I was a kid. They're either going to do that or they're going to do something else, which happens in just about every movie that's come out in the past however many years. What they do is they think about that relationship that has been broken, and it's probably been broken sometime back in high school because high schoolers are angst-ridden and, you know, just break things too, yeah, exactly. And so that relationship's been broken, and now it's been however many years, and I'm going to repair that relationship and I'm going to make that person like me in the next two weeks and probably what I'll do is not tell them that I'm dying and, and act as if I really like them just because I really want them to like me before I die. So this is the type of things that we think of when we think of somebody knowing that they're about to die. You're about to die. What are you going to do with your time? You're going to check off that bucket list. You're going to heal that broken relationship. But that's not what this man did. What this man did was extraordinary. So for starters, he stayed home. He didn't go walk across America. He just stayed put. He was either in his house or he was in the hospital the last days of his life. And what he did was he just had anybody and everybody, and this man knew a lot of people. He had anybody and everybody who wanted to could come and visit him and spend time with him. And then what he did is instead of sitting there and talking about, you know, you know, isn't it great that Duke's going to win this weekend? That's not what he talked about. 
what he talked about was, you know, you all should be trusting God. You should love God. He was, he was encouraging them. He was encouraging them to trust in God and to love him. And that's, that's how he spent the last days and hours of his life. And maybe I'm the only one who's seen too many movies, but that sounded pretty extraordinary to me, that that's what he would do. He spent the last days of his life loving people, caring for people, and calling them to faith in Jesus. And so we come back to Jesus, and he knows that his time has come. It's the end of his life. And what does he do? Does he think, you know what, I really wanted to go see Rome. It's on my bucket list. And so see you disciples, see you all people who are always following me. I'm going to go to Rome and because that's what I always really wanted to do. No, what he does is he sits in a room with a bunch of guys and eats with them and washes their feet and loves them. Isn't that amazing that that is what Jesus would be doing in his last hours? He's not wasting his time. He's not being selfish. He's spending the the end of his days caring for his disciples. Now with that man, when he died, how many people who he talked to in those last days do you think remember exactly what he said to them? I would guess all of them probably remember. Some of them might not know what he meant because they were too young or for whatever reason, but they remember. And how many of you have those experiences? People that you love, they died. And as they died, you remember the last things that they said. You remember, you remember smells, you remember colors, you remember all these details. That's what happens when somebody that we love dies. Well, Jesus knows this. And he loves his disciples. He cares for them. He wants to leave them with something. He wants them to remember this night. He knows that they're going to remember this night. And in that context, he does these things like washing their feet and giving them this new commandment. So now let's let's look at the new commandment. And let's read it again. So in verse 34, we read, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So first, what's new about this command? What's new? These disciples, like you and me, would have known the Ten Commandments. They would have known that they're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. They would have known these things. What's new about this command? Now they have Jesus, and they have Jesus' example. They have now a perfect example of love. We're called to love, and then Jesus says to love even as I have loved. Never before this time would there have ever been this type of an example, and now we have Christ as our example. And this commandment is given to the disciples, and it's given to you, and it's given to me. And so... What a blessing that is, that we are able to see Christ and see him perfectly loving and that we're, we're able to love in the way that he loved. 
So it's new. We're to love as Jesus loved. So that would beg the question, how did Jesus love? Now, I would guess that if we set up mics like right here in the, in the aisles, that we could for quite a while, without even looking at our Bibles, we could all get up and go to the mic and say something that we know from scripture that's an example of Christ's love, right? We, we could do that and it would probably take a while and we don't have the time to do that. So don't worry, we're not gonna do that tonight. Um, I wasn't given three hours, so. But we could do that, we could think of all the examples. There's so many of them. So I'll just name a few of them. First off, how Jesus loved these disciples is that he called them to be his disciples. There's all these people, there probably were smart people out there, there probably were people who were well-trained already, and then he decided to choose fishermen to be his disciples. He chose like a tax collector. He chose Jews to be his disciples. Why did he choose these people? Because he loved them. And not only did he call them, he taught them. I mean, how many of us would have liked to be taught personally by Jesus, you know, in that way? I would. He gave them power to perform miracles. They were able to preach. He gave them his Holy Spirit. And then how, how else did Jesus love? Well, he, he healed those who were lame. He made it so that the blind could see. He fed thousands. He called men to faith and repentance. I mean, what kind of example of love? That's love right there calling us, allowing us to come to him in faith and repentance. He, he eats with sinners. He ate with those who were despised and rejected. He cared for all those who came to him. Now, like I said, we don't have time to go through all the examples, but I do want to go through one or two. And this one is, is probably one of my favorite passages in scripture. This is in Matthew 14, beginning in verse 13. It's very short and it's very sweet. And this, uh, for the context, this comes right after Jesus has found out that John the Baptist has been murdered by Herod. So in Matthew 14, we read, now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Now that's love, if you ask me. He's sad. He's mourning the loss of John. He wants to be by himself, and so he leaves. But he, just everywhere he goes, the people follow him. And what does he do? Over and over again in scripture, we see Jesus having compassion for the people. And he doesn't just think, okay, well, I feel bad for those people. He actually does something about it. And so when he wants to be alone, when he wants to mourn the death of his friend who he loves, he doesn't think of himself. He turns to those people, he feels compassion for them, and he heals their sick. And that's just beautiful. We have an amazing God. 
And then the greatest example of Jesus' love is that he died on the cross for our sins. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus is going to say to the disciples just a little bit um, further down in chapter 15. The son of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, he comes and he dies for sinners like you and like me. That's love. So like I said, you could probably think of all these great, amazing examples. We could go through all of them. We could just list them off one after the other. But this is where we need to be careful. We have a tendency to, to see these great acts that Jesus did, these great acts of love, and then we tend to do one of two things. One is that we sit around daydreaming about doing something awesome and amazing. You know, Jesus died on the cross. He died for sinners. He died for me. I want to die. I want to I want to die for someone. I want to save somebody's life. So, man, if, if only there was like a house that was on fire and I could run in there and I could rescue somebody and I'd get on the news and I would save them and I would love like Jesus loved. We daydream. We think about these amazing great ways that we can love like Jesus loved. Or we don't do that. We despair. Because we look at these great ways that Jesus loved. He died for somebody. He healed somebody who was lame from birth. He made somebody who was blind to be able to see. I can't do that. So, you know, he tells me I'm supposed to love as he loved. And I'm just sad because I'll never be able to do what God did. Never be able to do what Christ did. But Jesus didn't only love in these great ways. He loved in small ways. And he loved in small ways all the time, constantly. Think of the beautiful passage of, of Jesus forgiving Peter. Remember, we had just read Peter saying that he would die for Jesus, and Jesus says, no, you won't. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster's crowed. And what happened? He denied him three times before the rooster crowed. But Jesus forgives Peter. What a beautiful act of love. In John 21, starting with verse 15, Jesus is saying, well, it starts, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. This is an act of love. Jesus forgiving John, forgiving Peter, excuse me. Jesus forgave Peter. Now I'm not saying that forgiving people is always easy. That's not my point. But more often than not, it's, it's not that difficult actually especially when we think about how much we've been forgiven. Jesus loved in another small way. He allowed the children to come to him and he spent time with them. 
In Mark 10, verse 13, it says, and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And then, what does it say? And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. All the time, Jesus is just loving in simple, simple ways. And then we come to this passage, and what does he do? He washes their feet. Simple, simple love. So if we look, starting in verse four, we read, Jesus got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. This, this was a simple task. He washed their feet. What does it take to wash somebody's feet? You get a basin, you put some water in it, you get a towel, you go to their feet, and you wash them. That's pretty simple. Not that difficult. Some of us actually do it, right? Lots of us have done it for Bob. Lots of us have done it for our children. It's not that difficult. It's a simple task. And Jesus was always doing these types of things. And it was love. See the effect that he has on Peter. There is such a love between Jesus and Peter that when Jesus comes to wash Peter's feet, Peter's thinking, no, you're not going to wash my feet. You're my master. I'm your servant. I'm your slave. You're my master. You're my teacher. You're my Lord. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says to him that unless I wash your feet, he says, you have no part in me. And what does Simon do? What does Peter do? Immediately, he switches. No longer is it, you're not gonna wash my feet, but now he's saying, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus' love is evident in his relationship with his disciples. Just look at this love. We see John, is who it's talking about, laying on his chest. He calls them little children. He washes their feet. Just think of your children. If you love them, do they not run up to you and hug you? Do they not jump all over you, climb over you? If you love your children, they will show their affection and their love for you by clinging to you, by being physical with you, and that's what's happening here. So these are just some examples. We see these simple, small ways that Jesus loved, these seemingly insignificant ways that Jesus loved all the time. 
And what we need to get into our minds is that if we're thinking about saving somebody from a house that's on fire, we never will do that unless we wash their feet. If you're not going to tell your neighbor about the gospel and about the hope that you have, you really think that you're going to do something great and amazing out of love? Now we, we also need to do another thing based on this command. We need to love. Now that might be obvious. It's, well, yeah, we need to love. But what does Jesus mean here when he says love? He says love even as I have loved. What does he mean by love? Well, in this wicked day and age, love has been corrupted into nothing more than lust, desire, passion. It's just an emotion. And since we're Christians, we have spit that out. That's not love. Love is self-sacrifice. Love is caring for people's needs. Love is agape love. It's action, it's service. Now that's true. You don't have love without service, without action. But you, don't, you also don't have love without affection and tenderness. So yes, we should be self-sacrificing, we should be charitable, we should serve others, but don't forget Christ's love, Christ's affection, his tenderness. So often we, we react against the sentimentality of our world, of our day and age, that we forget how Christ actually loved, how tender he was. Again, John laying against his chest, him washing their feet, him touching the little children, him blessing the little children. He calls his disciples little children as well. And that's not demeaning, that's affection. These are his sons, these are his brothers, and he loves them. So if we are to love as Christ loved, then we will be affectionately sacrificing our time in the service of others and loving one another in the mundane, boring, and day-to-day activities of life. We won't be daydreaming and we won't be hiding in fear because we can't do what Christ can do. What we'll be doing instead is we will be loving people. We'll be caring for their actual needs. And then what does it say in, in this passage will be the result of that love? Jesus tells us, he tells his disciples that If we love in this way, by this, all men will know that you are my my disciples if you have love for one another. When we care for our neighbors from a sincere heart, when we love our neighbors as Christ loved, then God's name will be magnified. When we obey God's command to love our neighbors and to love one another, Christ will be glorified and God will be pleased to use our love, our love and our care for our neighbors to draw people to himself. It should be a joy to us this passage, this commandment. What a joy that is that God has called us to do this work. That he has not said, well, I'll do, you know, you just, you love me, but, and then, you know, that's it. No, he says, love as I loved. And there's going to be something that's going to happen when you love as I love. 
people will see me, they will know me. So when we love our neighbors, when we love our friends, when we love our coworkers, our classmates, our teachers, our family, then that is God being merciful to us to allow our weak, pathetic actions to shine forth and show his glory. So as we end, as we go from here, we should thank God for Jesus' example. Think of the examples. You know, there's so many I didn't mention. So think of an example of Jesus' love. Thank God for it. And thank God for allowing you to share in his work of strengthening one another and in bringing lost souls to Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we do praise and magnify your name. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his example. We thank you for his great acts of love and for all the little ways that he loved, or at least seemingly little ways that he loved. And we thank you, Lord, that you have called us to love as he loved and to be a light in this dark world. I pray that we would love our neighbors, that we would love them in these little ways, that we would, we would care for their needs, that we would visit them when they're sick in the hospital, that we would help them with their children, with the work that they have around their houses. I pray that we would love people and that, Lord, we would share our faith, that we would share your gospel with them. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us to bring many to faith and repentance. We thank you and we love you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.